Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. Today we're in chapter 20 of Genesis. Before we get started, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the examples of Abraham, Sarah, and Abimelech. I just lift up this reading. I pray that you would be the one that we hear from and be your words, not mine. That you, Holy Spirit, would guide us and prepare our hearts, our minds, and our spirit. And there'd be your message, your teaching, that we would hear and abide by. I pray that we would understand more fully your, your purpose for our lives and that we would bring you glory and honor in all that we do and say. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today with chapter 20, there's not a single thing written by A.W. Tozer or Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon had over 2,000 uh, sermons in this, do- in this commentary I have, or resource material, and not a single sermon on chapter 20. But I do have this preaching the word commentary, and I find it to be actually extremely good. So I'm going to read what it says before initially, and what it talks about, and sets the stage pretty much for chapter 20. And it re- it reads: the effect of the comparative portraits of Abraham and Lot in Genesis 12 through 19 is that Abraham towers over Lot. Lot shrinks as he chooses the well-watered Jordan plain for himself, and is progressively absorbed into Sodom and ultimately the ignominy of the, of the cave. So Lot chose for himself the best, what he thought was the best, and what the best turned out to be was something that sucked him into huge sin, and he eventually wound up in the sinful location of Sodom, where he, where he was a prominent figure. That's not a good, he didn't choose well, apparently. It may have looked nice, may have been very pretty, very enticing, but it had very dire consequences for him. Abraham, despite some bumps along the way, for example, when he passed off Sarah as a sister to Pharaoh and the Hagar affair, grows ever larger, building altars in the land, magnanimously giving Lot his choice of the land, rescuing kidnapped Lot from an invading coalition of kings, receiving Melchizedek's blessing, believing the Lord's promise that a son would come from him, and that his progeny would be like the stars and having it credited to him as righteousness, witnessing the flaming presence of God pass between the flayed sacrifices and unilateral covenant, undergoing the convent, or I'm sorry, the covenant of circumcision, having his name changed from Abram to Abraham and Sarah's, Sarai's to Sarah, as God promises that Sarah will bear a son by Abraham. Feasting the Lord and two angels in his camp, hearing the Lord promise that Sarah would have a child at the same time next year, and then passionately pleading with God for Sodom, which brought about Lot's preservation. In all of this, Abraham rises as the towering man of faith, whom the writer of Hebrews so eloquently celebrates. It is this height that provides the background for Abraham's shameful conduct with the pagan king Abimelech. And his failure came so fast before Sarah was even pregnant with Isaac, who was born a year later, as chapter 21 records. It happened shortly after the destruction of Sodom and the Dead Sea, Dead sea Cities. Abraham pulled up stakes and began wandering. 
So that's the, that's the backdrop. That's the preparation for chapter 20. And chapter 20 now reads, verse 1, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his, said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Here we go again, right? Stepping right back into his sin. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. So he adds her to his harem. And Sarah's 90. She must have been a gorgeous woman. Because all the Pharaoh, this guy, so many have wanted her in, in, their, in their harems and in, as their wives. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. So Abraham has recruited Sarah into his sin, into his lies. And it's interesting. Here's a person who was at the peak of spiritual walking. He had all those previously outlined events where he negotiated with God for Lot and the the preservation of Sodom. He was also promised by God that within the year he would have a son. So he wasn't going to be killed because Sarah wasn't even pregnant yet. So but he still slipped back into his old ways. I can relate to that. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. That's a pretty intense statement, right? I think I'd probably obey it. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? So Abimelech has the moral high ground over Abraham. Abraham has sinned. He knows it. He's endangered this person. And yet this person's a pagan. And Abraham is righteous. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, lame answer. The daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife, basically a stepsister. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So they've been doing this forever, right? They've been doing it from the beginning. And it's really one of those situations where they've gotten it so it's just become what they're used to. <laughs> and they keep lying and sinning and again jeopardizing her relationship with him 
and not trusting God. The reason they lie, just like the reason I lie or I try to go and intervene and whatnot, is because I don't have faith that God's going to deliver. And so I want to intervene and make sure that it happens the way I want it to. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah's wife to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. Great generosity. Abraham's no longer a foreigner or a stranger in this land. He's now now one of them. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. I like that how he calls him her brother. (laughs) This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Understand that the largest bride price that they could give back then was 50 shekels of silver. So he gives a thousand. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So the reason that Abraham goes wandering every time he wanders and he tells Sarah say you're my sister it's because he doesn't have faith in God to deliver him and take care of him and it's a kind of like when I would when I say Lord I trust you but I just want to make sure things work out the right way <laughs> and so then I interfere that's basically what he's doing and so this self-trust which is distrust of God can really shouldn't have any place in a believer's life if he or she desires maximum uses, use by God. And that's not me saying that. That's, that's the commentary. And the commentary then goes on. As Oddwall Chambers writes, God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. So think about it. Abraham was a nobody, and God built him into a somebody. With that, I think it's just time to close with prayer. Lord God, thank you that you use nobodies. Thank you that you take us, you take me, and you love me, care about me, and that you use me in whatever way you want. And I just pray that my heart and my mind and my spirit would be available to you. That I wouldn't try to continue to be self-reliant, but that instead I'd be 100% reliant on you. That my lack of abilities would make me more of a tool, useful tool to you. I just lift up this time. I lift up this opportunity. I just pray that you would watch over all of us and that we would grow closer and stronger in our faith and reliance in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a great day.